podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Place to be, nah, dude, come over here, this where it's at. Yo, 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 place to be is on my side, dude, cause you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Nah, place to be is on my side, dude, cause you don't want to be the target when I fly the coop. Buenos dias. Come on, come on. Come on. Come on. It, we call it the, uh, the place to be. Place to be, yeah. Then I shall be. It is contagious. It is the place to be, and we are live each and every Monday. To do, to, to do worse than Josh Richards. Place to Be Nation proudly presents a powerful pair of pro wrestling pundits. It's JT Rosero and Scott Criscolo. And this is the Place to Be I Podcast. I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise. And suddenly, to my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It caught on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires. Place to be nation. Welcome back to the one and only Place to Be podcast. I am your host, Justin Rosero. Can we get you here from this PTBN studios that I am sitting inside of? And joining me as always is my PIC, Mr. Scott Fiscolo. Scott, how are you? Good evening, JR. Always a pleasure. Good morning, afternoon, evening to the PTV Wrestling Network friends and family. Welcome to episode 637 of the longest running episodic. I'm fucking gold. Uh, JR, how are you? What's going on in this uh, lush October? Uh, you know, football. Football? Softball, which is my life. Um, <laughs> everything in between. But uh, excited to be here. Crazy already that our next episode, Scott, is going to be another Halloween episode. We're already here. Yes. Crazy. We're going to do something. We're going to do something a little different. Yeah. We're going to do something a little different. We always do something. That's one thing about Halloween. We always find something different and fresh mm-hmm. and fun to do. So uh, looking forward to it. We're going to have a lot of fun. You guys will enjoy it too. Agreed. All right. Let's bring in our guest for tonight. You've heard him multiple times here, many times on Place to Be oh, Podcast. Yeah. He's also He's a vet. the co host of New Gen on a Mission over the North South Connection. Him and Justin Pratt going through the new generation era of mm-hmm. WF in very great detail. And that is our good buddy, Mr. Tim Slomka. Tim, how are you? Slomcat. Can you get off mute, buddy? Come on. I set you <laughs> up as like a big star. I can even see the mute. <laughs> What's up, guys? Very Sorry for the little internet <laughs> issues. We're good. Thanks. Oh, man. Totally good to have you as always, buddy. Good to have Thank you. Thank you. All right. Tonight, we're covering Elimination Chamber 2010. But as we usually do for the first half of our show, we're going to dive back uh, 14 years to 1996. And we're going to mm-hmm. start off with Scott Criscolo telling us what was going on in the world of professional wrestling. Uh, well, uh, let's go to February 21st, 1996. No WCW, no ECW, uh, but on the history of WWE.com, uh, it does say that on this date there was a show. I don't know if this was a taping. I doubt it was a house show. It had to have been a taping at Fernwood Resort. Yes. Oh, boy. Nice. This Fernwood in Bushkill, Pennsylvania. So, of course, it was probably about 13 Raws, most, <laughs> most likely. Um, but, uh Yeah. So there was no WCW, no ECW shows. WCW was probably close to Super Brawl, I assume. 
and uh, ECW. Did they do shows in February? Yeah, I guess they did. Yeah, um, they do it every month. I, I think. Uh, I can't think of what February would have been. I know Big Ass Extreme Bash was, I think, April. Right. I'm not sure mm. what February was. But uh, anyway, but no shows uh, officially on this date. So with that uh, done, let me pass it back over to uh, the PIC to fire up the herd. All right, Timmy, we got uh, three installments of Herb for you tonight. Can't wait. The best. February 2nd, 1996. Newspapers are running a story on the Davy Boy Smith trial in Calgary. Smith is on trial for allegedly assaulting Cody Light in a bar fight a couple years ago. Light complained of various problems as a result, which the paper is now briefly describing as brain damage. In any case, Smith's defense includes the idea that pro wrestling is fake and that cooperation is needed to perform these moves. The point being, he couldn't have done what Light claimed. Smith claims that he took Light over to the bouncers and let him go. Rowdy Roddy Piper has returned to WF on this past week's Raw, playing the role of interim president, while the previous interim president recovers from attack by Vader. It's suggested in The Observer that Piper's role will be to introduce a wilder style of wrestling and attempt to copy ECW sans the juice. Despite Bret Hart bleeding profusely on a pay-per-view match in late 95, it does not appear that WF has reinstated use of the blade. Indeed, WF claimed that Brett's bleeding was accidental, caused by glass on the floor from an earlier angle, and that the shape of Brett's cut corroborates this claim. Of course, Ric Flair bled profusely in a pay-per-view a week later for WCW, and now the situation is reversed. Both promotions are running cage matches on upcoming pay-per-views. In an interview on WCW Saturday night this past weekend, Flair told us there would be blood in his match. The question will be, if there's blood in the WCW cage, will WF follow suit a week later? It's like blood is a particular appeal to me because it's pretty unnecessary in the type of matches I like most. But lack of blood really hurts a lot of spots in cage matches and brawling. Back to Piper. He was brought in to replace Gorilla Monsoon. And the promotion actually ran an address where people wanted to get a mailing, get well wishes. Does anyone really care a hoot about Monsoon? This angle is reminiscent of some of the stuff SMW did, except fans actually liked Bob Armstrong. There's talk that Piper will reinstate Vader in the WF at the combined request of Vader's attorney and the babyfaces who say they want to crack at him. Oh, yeah, I was disappointed that Vader actually sold the 60-year-old's Monsoon's chops. He didn't seem so fearsome if Monsoon could chop him down. Clash of Champions number 32 did a big rating, 4.5 with a 6.6 share. Share is one of the most viewed wrestling shows in history of TBS. There's talk that the shoe shot... Uh, the shoe shot on Hogan and Monday Nitro drew blood legit, and Hogan is suffering vision problems from the blow. Super Brawl on February 11th has Flair versus Savage, Hogan versus Giant, both in cages. Harlem Heat versus Luger and Sting, One Man Gang versus Conan. Gotta be bad versus Diamond Dallas Page, Public Enemy versus the Nasty Boys, and Disco Inferno versus Alex Wright. In Your House on February 18th, Bret Hart versus Diesel in a cage, Smoking Guns versus the Body Donnas, One Two Three Kid versus Razor Ramon in a baby baby bottle match. Shawn Michaels versus Owen Hart with the title match on the line, and Undertaker versus Yokozuna in a casket match. The Observer reports that both Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko have signed two-year contract extensions. It's also reports that Vader has yet to sign an actual deal in the WWF. There's still problems working out a special which allow him to work in Japan. He is called in to do Raw at the live last-minute impulse since he clearly is more over than most at the Rumble. Goes to the ratings, gives the buy rate report, WrestleMania. Uh, projected lineup as Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels, Diesel versus The Undertaker, and Billionaire Ted as the referee for Huckster versus Nacho Man. Does anyone else feel by this point in time, Huckster and Nacho Man will be working against the WWF? It's funny that the first couple of times, but having a skit every week removes the novelty. It doesn't have the desired effect of making the WWF seem like an underdog against a monstrous empire of Ted Turner. It just sounds like whining. 
Every time you see the old El Paso salsa commercial, it uses the village people's macho man song with Nacho. I think of these skits. That's it for uh, week one here. Any thoughts on the notes? He's so angry. <laughs> Always. Very ornery this week. I was going to say the, the Cryberry, Cryberry match and the Nacho Man thing. That's a new gen crap I'm here for. So those are just legendary, crappy, uh, new gen <laughs> things. It just compared to what they do on WCW, it's just light years ahead uh, in a couple months. It's just crazy. It'd be the there before match you know is ter- Yeah, no. the Cryberry match is terrible. <laughs> they really are. All right, February 9th, Super Bowl is Sunday. He runs down the card. Says Public Enemy will be on the shelf after the show. Johnny Grunge has been suspended for taking a joyride with a WCW van. Okay. I guess the talent at Thievery is in the same ballpark as his wrestling talent. Uh, runs down the In Your House card. He now has added Hulk, uh, Hulk Hogan. Jeez. Hunter S. Helmsley versus Duke Drosy and Yokozuna versus Davy Boy Smith. Royal Mobile pay per view was a tremendous success, getting a 1.1 buy rate. 275,000 buys gave the company a much needed injection of money, 3.56 million. It signals the first positive turn for the company in the past year, but the question re- remains was it an anomaly or a turnaround? It's way too early to make a serious conclusion. All we can say, I think, is that the injection of cash will keep the company afloat until WrestleMania, after which the real test, Michael's reign, will take place. It's also nice that the payoffs of the run will presumably back up. Most reports of the wrestlers were used to getting three to ten k for a pay per view, and it's made to only get five hundred to nine hundred dollars at the December in your house. Morale goes up. The company has the cash to survive short term. It's good for us because I don't think anyone wants it to only be one national promotion. It is crazy to think like he's talking to WF going under in early nineteen ninety six, which is nuts. It is nuts. Former Quebecer Pierre Litt will be joining WCW in the near future. It's been rumored that Pierre, who was out after a serious hernia trouble, is thinking of switching allegiances after his return. Due to part of persuasions to Jacques Rougeau, as those that read this regularly will recall, I had the pleasure of attending a Rougeau show in Verdun last year. The show had several WCW stars promoted by Rougeau Cookie, <laughs> Cookie Lazarus and Tony Mule. Amazing name. Rougeau teases return to wrestling at the show. His WF retirement show had done tremendous business in Montreal. Rougeau has negotiated a deal with WCW, wherein it appears him and Pierre will work as a tag team and get a sizable chunk of pay-per-view revenue from Quebec for any shows that they work. Eric Bischoff is not a contract extension. He'll remain as the executive producer for three years. Since Jake Roberts going to the loudest pops of all at the Rumble, he'll be brought in so they have to play a role in the new generation. Uh, they go <laughs> the ratings again. goes to the buy rate comparison. WrestleMania still has the same three matches. And that's that. Uh, any thoughts on that second match? What was his name again? Cookie what? Cookie Lazarus. Cookie Lazarus. Laz- I'm trying to see if uh, Lazarus. Tim, any thoughts on uh, this big cash infusion for the WF keeping them alive? It's it's crazy to think about if they're actually that close. I, I don't don't remember. I mean, obviously they're hurting a lot, and that goes into Bret Hart's contract renegotiation in '97. So, I guess I guess they were that close. It's just crazy to think about just after the deal just closed. You know, <laughs> what three weeks ago to make him another billionaire? Uh, it's just crazy to think about how close they were to going under. Mm-hmm. Cookie Lazarus uh, was actually a a sports agent, too, because uh, he was uh, Warren Cromartie's agent. Um, yeah, he probably was like a promoter agent, sports guy yeah. in Canada, it sounds like. Yeah, this guy was – yeah, well, obviously it was Canada because Warren Cromartie was playing for the Expos at the time, so mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, this I, – I think – I got to be honest, and, and I don't think Herb – I never believe that Herb consciously puts like bloated 
stuff just to get clicks or not, well, not clicks at the time, but you know, <laughs> eyes, but WWF was not going out of business. It was never going to go out of business. So I don't know what, yeah, they were, they weren't flush like they were in 1987, but Vince was smart. He pared himself down to kind of rebuild. I'm sure he needed a loan. It's not the first time that's happened. And then a year later, he's giving money to ECW. So mm. I, I honestly yeah. believe that, that I, I don't think WWE was, or WWF will say WWF, obviously, uh, was ever in trouble. I honestly don't think so. I, I think, were they, did they have more money than WCW? No, but at the time. I don't know if they were in trouble, but I would say they're probably in trouble of having to severely reduce the way they did their business. Like, were they going to fold? I don't know, but I would they say- maybe commit to running smaller buildings, less house shows, uh, cut the roster even more. Like, that may be stuff they seriously had to consider. I would say, worst case scenario, maybe Vince sells. Well, there was no stock, so I don't know what the fuck. Maybe he would get another partner. I guess you can't say stock. Maybe he brings somebody in with some with Jerry some... Jarrett or whatever. I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. Rap- you and Pratt are talking about that a lot in '93 and '94. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it doesn't wouldn't shock me. Yeah, and, and I yeah. mean, just getting a loan. Tons of businesses have debt and, and that type of thing, so it's not that's not unheard of, you know. Right. Um, to so. to do so. Yeah, yeah I, I, I I agree with you, Scott. I don't think they were actually going to go under but it shows they were definitely not in the best financial position no they weren't and uh but they weren't gonna go they weren't gonna go under but yeah. i think i think at the time it would have been unheard of for vince to to take on like an actual partner partner i don't think that was yeah. i mean he was gonna try everything possible to not have that happen but in that instance i'm sure it was discussed i'm sure it was discussed internally to take on you know another entity 40% or 35%. We'll, we'll see if they can rise from the dead like Cookie Lazarus. Like <laughs> Lazarus. Yes. Keep an eye on it. All right, let's get to our final batch of notes here. WCW at Super Bowl this past Saturday gave the show yet another line of mixed reviews. In the end, there were maybe two good matches, a brawl that further underlined, to me, the limitations of public enemy, and the absolutely fascinating spectacle that is Brian Pillman. In the late edition of the card, Pillman faced Kevin Sullivan in a respect match, a strap match where the loser had to tell the winner that he respected him. Pillman attacked Sullivan, then quickly just said, I respect you, Booker man, and walked off. Arn Anderson came to the ring in a street clothes, had an impromptu match with Sullivan. Out came Ric Flair to calm things down and told Kevin, maybe I'll take your wife home tonight and turn her into a woman. <laughs> it's going to take a week or two for her to know what is going on, if this is planned or not. Word is mixed for now. It seemed like a shoot, but why would they bother to set up the match for the pay-per-view and have Pillman do a live interview with the show if the events of the past Monday Night Show were legit and unresolved? Why would Arn and Sullivan have clearly worked spots on the fly? Why would Eric Bischoff mention Pillman again on Nitro instead of never saying his name again? The whole thing has come off as very well crafted. People in the news group get pumped over shoots, and people who don't know what pro wrestling really is think it fits the storyline that's been developed. The definite low point of the show is the debut of Loch Ness, an absolutely horrendous guy. I refuse, to call him, I refuse to call a wrestler. He almost didn't even make it up the stairs during his main event squash. <laughs> got up very slowly after delivering an elbow. At the end of the show, he teased entering the cage to attack Hogan, but who are we kidding? After all, there were stairs, a door, and ropes to navigate. It might have killed him. One thing seems certain. If the events of Sunday night, the shoot, the double entendre interview, the brawl, and the juice appeared on a show of a promotion other than WCW, people here would be talking about the promotion going hardcore. Drift is in your house, same card. Brian Pillman, Chris Benoit versus the Barrio Brothers and Worldwide was a good match. Everybody's suggesting Razor Moon and Diesel are interested in jumping to WCW when their contracts are up. Uh, last Friday, 2020 aired a piece on the UFC. 
Runs through the ratings, the pay-per-view buy rates. Uncensored, Hogan versus Arn Anderson, Kevin Sullivan, Ric Flair, and Loch Ness in four cage matches. <laughs> hmm. We'll see. We'll get there. Something similar. The Road Warriors versus Sting and Luger in a street fight. Johnny B. Bad versus DDP. Savage versus Pillman. Shark versus Giant. Conan versus Dave Finley. WrestleMania is still the same three, but there is talk the final match between Nacho Man and Huckster will not take place, and WWE will blame WCW for shutting it down. Uh, they run through the card. He has the May in your house in Barry, uh, Bar, Ontario, which, as we know, is not the case. Maybe they wish they ran there instead of <laughs> Columbia. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe wouldn't have had the problems they had. Uh, so that's it for her. Any uh, final thoughts? Is that the the uh, the event where one man gang does this terrible sell with Hogan? Is that that event? I remember you sent that. Clip. That's, I think like, that's uncensored. I believe. Is that uncensored? Oh, I, remember, I just remember when you had on the war zone of how terrible his bump was. But yeah, nothing, nothing else besides that. I just lack, la- la- laughing at Loch Ness, who supposedly was a big star in the 80s overseas, and yet uh, definitely looks terrible at this at this point in time. Just, Scott, to that, just to let everyone know, Cookie's real name is Morden. So <laughs> cookie Lazarus is better than Morden Lazarus. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> cage, lots of cage matches. So much, some promotion would steal that down the line. Um, yeah, I mean, nothing crazy here, but, uh, obviously we're getting down the stretch to, uh, to WrestleMania 12. Um, maybe Vince will have it. I mean, he, you can't get any worse in the Hartford civic center the year before. I mean, where the hell is he going to have it? You know? <laughs> I mean, New Haven, I don't, you know, Warwick theater. <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, it's, I, I think that, uh, I think he'll realize that if he, if he stuck it out, he was going to be fine in the middle and the, the end of middle of 96 ends up being much better than I think anybody thought. Um, but everything seems to be pretty cut and dry at this point heading into, uh, you know, into March. Well, I'll say this. If WF did close, Ted Turner and Eric Bischoff were not going to cry. Just like Mary J. Blige was not going to cry. The number two song in the nation this week in 1996. That brings us into Scott Criscolo's Pop Culture Corner. Thank you, JR. One sweet day, still cranking. 13 weeks on the chart, still number one. Mariah and Boys to Men. I mean, I remember that song being awesome, but I remember it being number one this long. Uh, as JR mentioned, another song from Waiting to Exhale, Not Gonna Cry, from Mary J. Blige 2. Missing by Everything But the Girl at 3. Nobody Knows by the Tony Rich Project at 4. Sitting Up in My Room by Brandy, also from Waiting to Exhale, my God, at number 5. Be Mine Lover by LaBouche at number six. Uh, George Michael in the countdown for the first time in probably five years with Jesus to a Child. Uh, Exhale from Whitney down to eight. Just a slob like one of us. Joan Osborne at nine. <laughs> and Hey Lover, Ella Cool J at ten. And just on the outside looking in, the Gin Blossoms. Uh, hey, Jealousy? Wait, no, follow you down. Yeah. We're well after Hey Jealousy. Hell, Jealousy, I think. That's what, what, yeah. 92, I think. Uh, so there you go. So there is your uh, music this week. Let's go from uh, the radio to the theater and see what's going on um, 
at the box office for this weekend, ending uh, February 23rd, 1990. Let's see if this one's better. At number 10, Dead Man Walking. Number nine, Mr. Wrong. Number eight, Mary Riley. I don't even know what the hell. I think that's a horror movie. Uh, number seven, Before and After. Uh, number six, City Hall. That's a good drama with uh, Al Pacino and I think Chris O'Donnell's in it. Uh, number five, Mr. Holland's Opus. Number four, Happy Gilmore. Three weeks in the uh, in the theater. Uh, Muppet Treasure Island at number three. Number two, Broken Arrow, which was Christian Slater and John Travolta, I think. Uh, or is that Nicholas? No, that's Face Off. I always get those two movies confused. I think it's Christian Slater and John Travolta, Broken Arrow. And the number one movie debuting, probably the first big movie for this gentleman in America, Rumble in the Bronx, which of course would be uh, a, kind of the North American debut for Jackie Chan. Mm -hmm. It's the same movie I'm thinking of, which I believe it is. And the original course, name, I believe, was Ready to Rumble later in the Bronx. The 90s and the 2000s, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So there's your movies. Nothing really great. 1996 started off very right, very uh, rough in the uh, movies department, and then would get better as the year uh, as the year would progress. So, uh, okay, let's go to the hardwood and see what was going on in the NBA uh, on this date, January 21st, 2000, uh, 1996. Uh, games going on a. Oh, full slate, 10 games on this date. Uh, your Hornets, JR, uh, beat Washington, 96-92. Grandmama with a double, uh, with a double, double, 32 points, 16 boards. Uh, Dallas beat Sacramento. Knicks beat the Pistons in overtime. Golden State beat San Antonio. Orlando beat Indiana by two. Lakers beat the Clippers by four. Uh, Nets beat the Bucks in overtime. Minnesota beat Houston. Miami beat Philadelphia. Oh, God, look at this rock fight. Miami beat Philadelphia 66-57. <laughs> Philadelphia scored 24 points. Oh, God. This game is ugly. Um, and uh, the Suns beat the uh, Celtics in Phoenix 120-107. to uh, So the standings, uh, the Magic lead the Atlantic at 39-14, and 14, six games ahead of the Knicks. Jazz lead the Spurs by a game in the Midwest. Uh, Sonics lead the Lakers by seven in the Pacific. And after 52 games... Of the 1995-96 NBA season, the Chicago Bulls, 47-5. and five. I was going to guess six. I was going to guess six losses at that point. Every time we do a, a show, Bulls aren't playing. I was kind of hoping <laughs> to get like a good Michael uh, line score or whatever. But 47-5, uh, and five, so obviously they are trucking along. 15-game lead over the Pacers. Uh, of course, en route to one of the greatest, if not the greatest season in a uh, single season by a team in NBA history. Uh, let us go now to the frozen pond and see what's going on in the NHL on this date, uh, February 21st, 1996. And uh, waiting for the page to load. Um, usually our teams are playing. Let's see. Sabres beat the Penguins. There was uh, seven games on this date. Sabres beat the Penguins 6-3. Oilers beat the Kings 7-2. The whale. Every I feel like Jr. Every time we do a, a, a show, the Whalers win. Mm -hmm. So yes, Ras Bonanza. Whalers beat the Canadians five three. Ducks beat the Bruins in overtime four to three. Panthers beat the Devils four to one. Lightning beat the Leafs 
uh, 3-2 in overtime, and the Canucks beat the Jets 5-3. So at this point, Rangers lead the Atlantic with 79 points. Penguins lead the Northeast with 74. Red Wings lead the Central with 88. Uh, the Avalanche lead the Pacific with 74. So there we go there. And finally, uh, on this date, it always works out for us, February 21st, 1996, as we continue season six of Beverly Hills 90210. This was episode 22 uh, of the season, episode 166 overall. It was called All This and Mary Too. Hmm. Colin visits Kelly and announces for the 16th time this season that he has kicked his cocaine habit. Kelly maintains that they are bad for one another and breaks up with him. Kelly gets a roommate, a troubled teenage runaway named Tara. Valerie has the house to herself as Steve and Brandon leave for a ski weekend with Claire, Susan, and David. And guess what she does? She hooks up with Colin. What a shock. Uh, <laughs> Susan challenges Brandon to a ski race, and they have the... Uh, they leave the disgruntled run, uh, the, the designated runs. Susan injures her ankle on a jump, and the duo must mm -hmm. fight the elements while awaiting a rescue team. Depressed by his split with Valerie, David mopes around the lodge. Everyone keeps introducing him to blonde girls named Mary, and it works out pretty well for him. Donna hears news of a medical breakthrough that could save Joe's career. She must convince Joe to pursue the treatment. He doesn't want to get his hopes up and goad her father into using his connections to Joe's benefit. JR, on a side note, what were your thoughts on this? Like, I, I'm trying to remember, like, the side relationship with Donna and Joe. I I kind of remember it. I kind of don't. I feel I like, like Joe. I got lost in the... He was, he was like the bounce back from Ray. Bounce back from Ray. Had the, um, you know, kind of good old boy. It wasn't, he ends up playing with Steve Young football next game right that's him, I think. So, I, I didn't mind him. He, but he just he wanted to say, Donna was already to settle down. He wanted to settle down, so that's that all right why don't we go ahead and get ready to move on as we head back to 2010 we'll be talking elimination chamber February 1st, 2010, from the Scott Trade Center in St. Louis, Missouri. Attended 17,285. Oh, I'm sorry, the buy rate is 285,000. This is the debut of the Elimination Chamber, where the Chamber match is the highlight of the show, even though the show would still be called No Way Out in Germany. This is Missouri's eighth pay-per-view, either in St. Louis or Kansas City. Uh, Mr. Slomka, any guess at all when the last pay-per-view was in Missouri? Uh... I don't even remember. I, didn't, I thought I thought this was the first one. I couldn't even think of one off the top of my head. What was the past one? We, Judgment Day 07. So actually, not too far. Not too far. Okay. Uh, on February 1st, Jack Briscoe passed away at the age of 68. On uh, Also on the same day, William Shatner was the guest host of Raw. Big announcement on February 2nd. Vince McMahon announced that ECW was being rebranded to a brand new show. The final episode of ECW would air on the 16th. February 8th, NASCAR racer Carl Edwards served as a guest host. On February 9th, WD Japan held a ceremony in Tokyo's Hotel Okura to celebrate Antonio Inoki 
being inducted to the Hall of Fame. February 9th, SmackDown ECW taping was moved from New Orleans to Baton Rouge due to the city of New Orleans holding the celebration for the Saints winning the Super Bowl. Beating on February 11th, SmackDown and ECW did a week-long tour of Mexico and Central America. On February 15th, Jerry Springer was the Raw guest host. And on the 16th, ECW aired their final episode as the next week would begin a new show called NXT. The main event, Ezekiel Jackson <coughs> defeated Christian to become the new and final ECW champion, ending Christian's reign. It was announced that all members of ECW could choose which brand they would move to as NXT arrived. The dark match of the show was Christian versus Ezekiel Jackson one last time. We then uh, get a video focusing on the diabolical turns on the road to WrestleMania, highlighting the chamber matches ahead tonight. We then get Michael Cole, Jerry the King Lawler, and Matt Stryker welcome us into St. Louis. The crowd is pumped. Justin Roberts runs down the rules for the chamber because our first Elimination Chamber match is up to start the show. John Cena taking on Ted DiBiase, Randy Orton, Triple H, Kofi Kingston, and our champion, Seamus Scott. How did this first chamber match come about? Uh, night after the Rumble on the February 1st Raw, Sheamus confronted the winner, Edge, as they went back and forth till the two brawled with Edge hitting the spear. And that night, DX would talk about the night before as Triple H said Michaels had to get over his obsession with Taker. Also that night, DiBiase tried to apologize to Orton about what happened the night before, though Orton would walk away and it was announced there'd be a series of qualifying matches for the Chamber that night. In those qualifiers, uh, Cena defeated Cody Rhodes. Triple H beat Jack Swagger. Orton defeated Sean. Uh, DiBiase defeated Mark Henry. And Kingston defeated the Big Show. So Sean, once again, thwarted uh, in his attempt. On the 2-8 Raw, uh, Legacy had a confrontation about DiBiase and Orton qualifying for the Chamber, while Rhodes didn't. And that night, Michaels would ask Teddy Long to be traded to SmackDown so he could get in that Elimination Chamber. Triple H confronted Michaels and asked if he was willing to throw his career away for this obsession. And Michael said his career was already over as long as he would give long, sweet chin music. In the main event, Cena fought DiBiase to a no contest as he attacked DiBiase before the match and called out Batista for attacking him last week. And on the 215 Raw, Sheamus defeated Orton by DQ and Legacy got involved as they tried to explain themselves. Orton would give Rhodes the RKO while Sheamus gave DiBiase the Brogue kick, though Orton would also give him the RKO later that night. DiBiase defeated Kingston in a match, and in the main event, Cena and Triple H wrestled to a no contest when Sheamus got involved and laid out both men as he stood tall with the title. So once again, Sheamus is the one lost in the shuffle, and he's the one that actually has the belt. <laughs> as usual for this reign, for sure. Yep. Yep. Get a huge pop for John Cena. He comes out for our first chamber match. Ted DiBiase's out next. A bit overwhelmed, maybe in a big spot. Orton Swagger's out next, followed by Triple H. Kofi jogs out. He'll open the match with Sheamus, who has quite the road ahead to retain. Cole calls back to Kofi's troubles from last year with being attacked and knocked out of the match before it started. If you remember, Chris Jericho jumped him. Kofi mm -hmm. starts hot, sticking and moving, putting the champion off balance. Sheamus comes hammering back into control, but seeming a little bit frustrated through his offense. Kofi springs back at the Sheamus for a near fall, but Sheamus overpowers and grinds away as our first period winds down. Hunter's out next. We get a big stare down with Sheamus as the crowd wakes up. Hunter lights Sheamus up with punches. They get into a rolling, into a slugfest, out onto the steel. Kofi comes flying back into off the top and runs through both guys with a flurry. Kofi has a boom drop on Hunter on the steel. Sheamus recovers just as Orton comes in and cleans house. Orton stalks through Sheamus and Hunter as Kofi recovers. Sheamus is the first to start eating some steel. 
Kofi pops up and cleans out everyone with a dive, but Orton cuts him down the springboard, beats on him. Hunter can't finish him off. Orton dodges a pedigree, but then dumps Kofi in a steal as he's dominating this match. DiBiase's in next as the buzzer rings, and he starts picking apart everyone. He offers a hand to Orton, and they work together. Orton and DiBiase start to really dominate, including a nasty spot where they jam Kofi's head through the chain links and then hook a Boston Crab and kick away at him. They turn to Hunter and ground and torture him, including a hanging DDT on the steel. The clock ticks down, and in comes John Cena as the last man to enter. He has to fight through Orton and DiBiase. Goes into a big flurry to a split reaction. Cole waxes poetic on their 2009 feud between Orton and Cena. As Cena did F you on DiBiase to the steel. Hooks an STF, but Orton saves. Cody comes in with a pipe. He yells for Randy's attention and slides it in. But Ted gets it and hits Orton with it and clobbers Cena as well. And Ted DiBiase eliminates Randy Orton um, after Randy had saved him. And Cody, again, costs his old boss. So a lot of trouble legacy over the last couple shows. We reset. Kofi quickly eliminates DiBiase with a trouble in paradise, but he turns into a brogue kick and Sheamus ends his night with a Celtic cross. Cena and Sheamus trade offense. Sheamus sets up the Celtic cross, but Hunter cuts him off, hits a pedigree, and eliminates Sheamus. We're going to be guaranteed for a new champion, so he doesn't even get to be the guy at the end. Poor Sheamus. Cena hooks an STF on Hunter, and he shockingly taps out, and Cena wins clean to win the world title back. Hmm. It's a very good chamber match. A lot of good story and pacing. Some really big spots. The crowd was hot as well. Uh, a lot of stars in the match. Legacy stuff was well done, continuing their disintegration. Hunter tapping clean to Cena was well done. Kofi and DiBiase fit right in and elevated themselves. And I thought this is actually the strongest Sheamus looked, even though he lost the belt. Uh, I thought he actually looked well well booked in the match. So uh, Scott went three and three quarters. Again, a very good chamber, probably a little forgotten, uh, but not one of the most classic ones. Uh, I gave it three and three quarters as well. Uh, I agree with you about Sheamus. I almost feel like at times, particularly when he was wrestling like Kofi, that he was actually wrestling pissed off. Like, I've had enough of being forgotten. I've had enough of being just a piece of somebody else's feud. And he went in there and he just started kicking the shit out of everybody. Uh, you're right. It's kind of like, you know what it's it's very reminiscent of? It, it, to a smaller extent, it's a lot like JBL in 0405. By the time we really started liking JBL, he loses. Or, or, you know, suddenly finally started like fitting into his own as champion. It was too late. Uh, I feel the same thing here. Sheamus finally shows like, listen, I have this title and I'm not just going to lay down for all you assholes. So I'm just going to start kicking you all in the face. And I think uh, he added that that edge that I don't think we've, no pun intended, that we didn't see the last couple of shows. Um, I mean, this show's loaded. It's This match is loaded. It's got all the, the heavy hitters. And the legacy thing is really like heavy handed storytelling. Um, Cena winning surprised me until I realized what we were about to was about to happen. But uh, Cena surprised me. I actually thought that uh, I actually thought that um, I actually thought Triple H was going to win, and we were going to get Triple H Cena at WrestleMania mm-hmm. because uh, I don't know, it just felt like it. But in any event, I, I enjoyed the match. Uh, uh, Tim, uh, nice win by Cena, but particularly J. I agree with Jr. I feel like Sheamus like just finally is like, you know what? I've had enough of being like just some pawn and all these other storylines. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to hurt people. Yeah. I, I went three and a half on the match. Uh, I it, JT, you mentioned a great thing about the forgotten chamber. I think the reason for that is there's no like classic move in it. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of more of a straight wrestling match than like, you know, some crazy spot that really in this match, there's not one of those. Uh, <clears throat> I, I try to 
my first notes were all about Triple H, about how they kept bragging about how he won four out of five. I'm like, come on, this guy is ridiculous. So I was happy to see Cena win. Crazy that Cena's the first guy out, but it's the proper guy to get out. The crowd gets hot for that. And with a 45-minute match uh, that comes here, it's great that they get the crowd started off. So I think the, the perfect guy to come out first. Uh, I thought Orton also got a huge pop. And the leg, like you mentioned, everyone mentioned the legacy stuff is great. It's back and forth, kind of elevating both DiBiase and Cody at the time. You know, crazy to think about where Cody and DiBiase are today <laughs> at this time. But I think it kind of elevated them as as, as two together, kind of taking out Orton. Uh, and then, yeah, kind of shocked that Cena got him the tap on the F- FTF. Uh, I really thought that was good. The crowd popped for it. Uh, and then, you know, you're thinking you're about to go, you know, kind of a break, but something else happened. So three and a half for me, but uh, a really good chamber match, uh, which I'm not always the biggest fan of because I think mm-hmm. sometimes they try to turn it a spot fest versus, right. uh, you know, a, a, you know, there's not a feud, right? It's always, cause you just kind of, you always have to have six guys. Uh, I felt like this one was pretty well done. Hmm. All right. Well, we are not done because Vince McMahon comes out and says, John Cena can go to WrestleMania as long as he escapes with this world title, because tonight he has to defend against Batista. And that is right now. Scott, any notes before we get into this quick match, or was it kind of tied to the uh, last one? Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty much, okay. you know, an impromptu, impromptu match. match put together by Vince. Vince just walked out and okay. just gave Batista the match. Pretty cut and dry. All right, Batista has hate in his eyes. He stands over Cena as the ref calls for the bell. Cena lands a punch. Batista laughs at him, buries him with a spear and a Batista bomb, and wins the world title. Uh, I love this moment for Batista. Ace heel work deserved it. Uh, McMahon screwing with Cena because he's been, you know, helping out Brett. So he punches him by giving Batista the title. I thought it was a great moment. I went two stars uh, on the match itself, Tim. But what'd you think of the moment and, and kind of overall everything about it? Yeah, it was okay. I got, I'll go two stars as well. I don't know if we're going to rate this match or not because it's so short and kind of impromptu. Uh, Cena, I thought, oversold a little bit. I get he's supposed to be tired, but it was just a little bit overacting in it. Um, I, I feel like they're maybe just trying to have a moment on the show, right? Rather than just Cena winning, uh, which is cool. It obviously sets up the uh, WrestleMania match, but uh, definitely a big moment makes Batista look like a beast, just kind of manhandling Cena, what, in a minute? Uh, That was pretty impressive. So even though I thought Cena oversold, what do you think, Scott? Uh, I gave it one to three quarters. I mean, it wasn't much, but uh, good move. I mean, Batista's earned it. He's been such a dick. (laughs) He's been really good at being a heel. So he deserved to come in and screw Cena over again because other than that kind of weird face, face detente thing in the summer of 2008, we really have never seen Cena Batista face to face. So mm-hmm. I think they were trying to really push this as like a mega match. Um, unfortunately got kind of drowned amongst a bunch of other stuff, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks. Um, but uh Cena's just always a good victim. He's, I think he adap- I think he adopted that from Sean on how to be a good victim because <laughs> he's always good at kind of getting screwed and, and and that and such. So I thought it was good storytelling. I like Batista's as taking this belt kind of shabbily because he kept thinking he quote kept getting screwed and now he's the one doing the screwing. So I I, I enjoyed it. I think it was good storytelling and a good way to head to uh, a good way to head to Phoenix. All right. Michael Cole, Jerry the King Lawler, Matt Stryker. Talk about Cena stepping up for Bret Hart against Vince, which led to this. We get clips from Raw where Bret was in a car accident and had his leg crushed after he said farewell to the fans. Uh, that brings us to our next match for the Intercontinental title. Is Drew McIntyre takes on Kane. Scott, any history between these two to set up this match? 
Well, let's see, sir. On the 212 SmackDown, uh, McIntyre cut a promo on being undefeated and champion, and he issued an open challenge, which was answered by Kane. And McIntyre would try to get out of it, though he would have a non-title match, which ended in a double countout as Kane gave McIntyre the chokeslam and laid the title across him. And on the 219 SmackDown, this match was announced as McIntyre tried to attack Kane after his match with Dolph Ziggler, though Kane would clear him from the ring. And that was uh, that was it. All right. Well, Drew saunters out as I see title as banger theme song. Kane follows train wreck potential, but we'll see. Drew goes punch for punch to Kane uh, to start until Kane cuts him down, slugs at him in the corner. Kane kicks away, gets a side headlock and grinds on him. Kane works the neck. Drew, it's a hard punch to take over, targets the knee, strikes away, goes to the arm, kind of working both limbs. Kane shoves Drew over the top and takes over as the crowd is checked out. Drew snaps the arm down, takes back over as we slowly grind. The crowd tries to wake up as Kane counters a future shock and revs up. Runs through some offense, but he can't finish. Kane heads up top for a clothesline, but Drew slips from the chokeslam. Bails to the apron. Kane kicks Drew to the floor, but Drew keeps trying to escape as Kane overpowers him. Kane stalks Drew down the aisle, then back inside. Drew goes to the eyes and finishes him with a future shock to retain. Exactly what you'd expect here. Drew's progressed, and this had good focus. Uh, compared to other stuff that uh, that he's put on so far in pay-per-view, but still very slow. Striker did a good job telling the story for them with Drew working the body parts and the crowd coming back after dipping. Uh, Drew winning clearly the right call, putting putting him over Kane worked, Scott. So I went two and a half. Fine. Not a lot cooking here, but better than some of Drew's other stuff. Uh, I give this two and a half, too. Uh, I'm, I'm worried about Drew McIntyre, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, this He's just not catching on um he's kind of nondescript um he's just some guy with a ponytail that smiles a lot i mean there's nothing else there's nothing there right now uh obviously things would change you know 13 years or whatever 10 years later but uh right now he's just kind of a faceless mid-card dude who happened to be the intercontinental champion i wish i would have just been happy if king just took it um other than that Tim, just kind of a drink of water of a match. Uh, what did I give it? I think I gave it two and a half. Yeah. Uh, just kind of a drink of water of a match. Nothing to write home about. Yeah, I, I went away two stars. Uh, probably proper placement for this match after a long chamber and, and storyline stuff. Yes, like if you're going to want to put yeah. this match, if you're going to put this yep. match on, this is the one. JT kind of mentioned the crowd kind of dead. That makes sense. I had the same note. Uh, but they're all off getting beers or talking about Batista Cena. You know, I mean, there's just a lot going on, but it's a, so it's proper time for them to get in. By the end, they're kind of into it. I'm not the biggest big red machine gat guy. Uh, I, I don't think he's the best. He has some good matches, but this is kind of, uh, you know, standard punch kick kind of match. Uh, fine for 10 minutes. And I think you're better putting Drew McIntyre over mm -hmm. than Kane. I don't think you need Kane always getting titles. Like he's kind of like the big show, like just the guy doesn't need titles. If you're going to use them as utility player, I do want to say one thing on Batista Cena. It's crazy. Cause you, you guys just kind of brought up, Oh, kind of the feud kind of dies down before mania. I'd really like to hear what happens on the way to WrestleMania. Cause the last time I was on, I was on for SummerSlam. Oh, eight. And I absolutely love that feud lead up yes. and the match at SummerSlam. So it'd be interesting that they can't like, if maybe they they do, but they can't relive that moment because Scott said that I was like, I think I've seen that match before, and I was like, oh, that's the last time I was on. So it'd be <laughs> be interesting to see when they get to WrestleMania, like if that match feels big time or if that doesn't come across. Hmm. All right, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it'd be different sides of the coin this time for them. So right. we'll see what what the structure is. 
Uh, Maurice is backstage with Gail Kim. She's talking French and kind of laughing it up. Uh, and then says, you know, just saying nice things about you. But Gail reveals she can also speak French. And knows Maurice was talking shit and says uh, she will win. So that brings us to our next match here. Uh, it's going to be a match for the vacant Divas title or women's title after Molina got hurt. Maurice versus Gail. But things get switched up. But Scott, walk us into what happened up until this point. All right. Well, like I said, uh, this was originally supposed to be Gail Kim and Maurice for the vacant Divas title because Molina got hurt. But it was changed to this. On the 1-4 Raw, it was announced Molina had suffered an injury vacated the Divas title. Uh, and a tournament was announced to crown a new champion. That night, Maurice defeated Brie Bella to advance. The next week, Alicia Fox defeated Kelly Kelly. Gail Kim defeated Jillian Hall. And Eve Torres defeated Katie Lee Burchill to advance. On the 125 Raw, Kim defeated Fox. Maurice defeated Eve. They made it to the finals. On the 2-1 Raw, Maurice confronted Kim backstage as they talked about the, le- the feud between Mickey and Laycool on SmackDown. And Maurice said she wanted to have a great match with Kim for the title. On the 2-8 Raw, it was announced Kim and Maurice would face off at the pay-per-view, and Kim would defeat Hall in a match, and Maurice confronted her after the match and said she was looking forward to their match as they shook hands. On the 2-18 Superstars, Kim defeated Katie Lee in a match as Maurice appeared on the stage and applauded Kim's win. So I don't know where the change came. It's here. It just kind of happened. So Maurice is out. Michael Cole says this is for the vacant title. Uh, big spot for Gail. I mean, if it happens, Matt Stryker gets a very creepy joke in and then a racist joke a minute later. Just a mess. Uh, Vicky comes out. He talks about, she talks about SmackDown not being represented, not liking the disparaging comments. And now she's the only diva with authority in the building. She's going to postpone this match and make it a tag with Gail Kim and Maurice against Lay Cool. So Lay Cool come out. We have a tag match now. Layla and Gail kick things off. Striker gets fat jokes in about Vicky. Just never-ending shaming. Gail and Layla go back and forth with a pretty good pace as Michelle kicked Gail off the top to turn the tide. Michelle tags in, shoots Gail in the ring, chokes away. Gail eventually fights off Michelle and crosses the tag, but Maurice pulls her hand away. Pie faces her, and Michelle hits her with a boot and finishes with a faith breaker. Maurice mocks Gail after and plants her with a DDT to absolute silence. Uh, this is pretty dumb. I don't, I don't get why you're taking the title match off the books. It killed the vibe, I guess. Just want to get Lay Cool on the show. Just do it from the start. Just make it a tag match and do the title match on Raw. Why are we killing the crowd, Tim? Start a quarter for whatever was there, but I didn't understand the booking here. Yeah, obviously I didn't have as much lead up as you guys did. And with all that lead up, just to flip it and make it a tag match makes no sense. I do think Vicky is good in this excuse me role uh, at this time. Like the, She gets the ton of heat, so that brings it. But again, she even talks about how the SmackDown girls are the hottest. They're not even presenting some of these, mm-hmm. you know, females as, as competitors. And as you kind of mentioned, some of the fat shaming and things like that, like they barely talk about their in ring. Uh, so kind of disappointing in that. Um, I, I did it. As we talked about NXT, when does the uh, female NXT start up? Like how long does it go into it? Cause it's just, that was in my head after this match about them talking about NXT. I'm like, how, how there's such a difference now in the divas mm-hmm. division today versus what this, what this match had, like, it's yeah. just crazy to think about. So yeah, start for me, but yeah, like you said, it doesn't really make sense from a, just let's throw together a championship when we're trying to crown a singles champion. So Scott. Yeah. Uh, the, I don't understand why we had to have the dipsy do, or I don't know what the point of that was. I gave this match a star. It was, it wasn't very good. Uh, I agree. Like we've been saying this a while, Jr. Even in most of 2009, um, 
because we get some solid. There's definitely an imbalance on Raw and SmackDown with the with the way the women are treated on Raw because you've got you know Beth Phoenix, you've got uh, Lay Cool, you've got these um, good competitors and and solid in ring workers, and I feel like SmackDown they just candy it up. And uh, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why. I mean, are we the biggest divas? You know, that 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 belt is garbage. But um, I, I just don't like the way. It, it's definitely disparaging between the way the two divisions are treated. But I don't understand why we had to have like a, a on camera. We already had one, you know, audible at the end of the, you know, uh, earlier in the night with Batista getting Cena. But I, I don't know why we just didn't have a tag and move on. I feel like the crowd was ready for a a title match and then get it swiped away from them. Uh, we've all had that happen to us at live shows. Um, so I didn't get it. I, th- I think the crowd, and I think the crowd kind of lost their, their oomph for the next like hour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it felt it like killed things. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Josh Matthews says the premiere of NXT debuting this Tuesday explains the concept brings in the Miz, who is one of the pros mentoring Daniel Bryan for the competition. Hmm. Miz brags about being a dual title holder and talks up his resume, training the king of the indies. But he's a guy first in line at a Star Wars convention. No personality. A big loser as the Rams here in St. Louis. Uh, but he can get Bryan to the next level. Out comes MVP, talks shit to his rival. It says him and Mark Henry beat Miz show on Raw, and he's earned a U.S. title match, and it's going to happen tonight. So Miz is yet again shocked as he's forced into another last-minute match with MVP on pay-per-view. Out comes William Regal. Cole says he's negotiating to come to Raw since ECW is dying. Regal slated to also be a pro on NXT. Regal talks it up. Says the role of a pro. He's got the most tenure of all of them. Regal shits on the crowd doing the what chant. Says he demands respect on NXT. Edge's music hits. He gets a big pop, comes out. Calls calls Regal Lord Snugglesworth. And that, uh, what it was like to uh, like paint dry listening to him drone on. Edge said he wanted to give the fans something they wanted to hear, and he could pick what champion to face at WrestleMania, and tomorrow on Raw, he'll make that decision. But tonight, he's here to do something else. He spears Regal, uh, and not much else. He's teasing his championship choice for Mania tomorrow night and give Edge a shot of the pay-per-view while also protecting him a bit, because I still don't think he's really fully healthy um, and wrestling much here at this point. Right. All right. Brings us to our next match. It's a rematch from the Royal Rumble. The U.S. titles on the line is the Miz defends against MVP Scott. Any uh, build since the Rumble for these two? Well, this was another last minute addition uh, to the card on the two one Raw. Uh, Miz was doing commentary during show's match with Kofi Kingston until MVP came out and chased him into the crowd. The following week on two eight, uh, Miz and Show defeated DX and the Straight Edge Society in a triple threat match to win the WWE Unified Tag Team championship and i think we get into how that what went down in that match maybe not uh uh i believe that's the match where there was miscommunication with dx and uh sean fucked something up and they lost the belts and uh triple h looked at them all pissed off because sean obviously is not all there we all know why on the 215 raw mvp and henry defeated the newly named show miz in a non-title match when mvp pinned miz uh, I like Show Miz. Well, Show Miz heads out. They got all the titles, followed by MVP. He's got Mark Henry with him. Another chance to cash back in. Miz talks shit. MVP slaps him on loads of flurry. Keeps pouring it on. MVP follows. Keeps battering the champion until Miz catches him with a back elbow. A lot of NXT hype on commentary. As MVP works the midsection, gets a nice hanging reverse lung blower. Miz kicks MVP around as Cole makes jokes about being mentored for 13 years, including tonight, which I thought was funny. Shot of Vince on the commentary. 
Miz cranks a chin lock. As Stryker talks about Brian and puts over Miz as MVP gets two on a small package. Miz kicks him back down to stay on top. MVP gets a hard desperation punch. He's back up, but Miz cuts him down again and goes to a seated chin lock. Miz keeps grinding away as Stryker says Henry has records in the snatch and clean and jerk and tells Lawler no comment. Miz hits a big running clothesline in the corner as he's fully dominating. MVP crotches Miz up top, loads a superplex, but Miz shoves him off. Miz pops up and throws Miz down. Uh, MVP pops up, throws Miz down with a super belly to belly, leads to a slugfest. Miz's head is busted open from a headbutt as MVP is cutting through him, gets two on a ball and elbow. Show yanks Miz to the floor. Henry comes over to help, but Show shoots him to the barricade on a charge at a really cool spot. Back inside, MVP misses the Yakuza kick. Show nails him with the knockout punch, and Miz covers to retain. A pretty fun little match. I thought the, the structure was fine. He kept straight in a classic formula to keep the crowd with him. Miz keeps growing in character and in ring. The bloody head from the headbutt was a nice touch. MVP is solid as always, comes up short again, but Miz and Big Show have a good thing going, so I like keeping the belt on him. Even at the expense of multiple losses for MVP, it is what it is for him at this point. Tim, I went three stars on this. Yeah, I went the same. I, re- I really liked it. I liked the segment with uh, Backstage 2. Uh, you kind of mentioned it, talking up NXT. Uh, you know, I want to ask you guys a little bit on that. You know, wh- what you guys thought of ECW being done, but uh, you know, a- after this match, but I thought it was really, that was a good segment back there. It's kind of weird. I'm talking about Daniel Bryan, like at that point too, just what comes in the future. I like the way big show and Mark Henry involved here. I'd much rather see him outside the ring than an in-ring match at times. Uh, the barricade spot was awesome. It made a huge noise. The crowd popped for that. You kind of talk about the crowd a little bit earlier being dead, but I thought that barricade spot, the crowd really woke up from, uh, I don't know if the blood was needed in the busted open. So that was kind of unique because they didn't really play off it at all. But um, I liked Miz getting in. Like you said, Miz show is kind of a, cl- a good use of both guys. Um, you know, their, their talents, uh, big show kind of it, multiple times he's been put in tag teams. I think he's pretty good in that role. So uh, like I said, I probably go in three stars uh, and including that interview, maybe three and a half with the, if you caught that interview with it, because I thought those are really well done segments. Um, Scott, what'd you think? Uh, three stars for me. Uh, I thought this match was better than the one they had at the Rumble. I gave that one two and a half. Uh, I don't I mean, kind of some comments that I made last month. Uh, Miz is just growing. He's got the good douche face uh, personality. Uh, the in-ring is getting there. Um, it's okay. Uh, but he's working hard. Uh, Miz has just become pretty much more of a supporting character now, little by little. Uh, having Miz would show as kind of a replacement for uh Jericho is was smart he was the right guy and it gives obviously it gives uh Big Show something to do and it gives Miz kind of a mentor himself you know for being a, a you know another asshole so uh but the match yep. was good uh the headbutt yeah um little blood never hurt anybody uh but uh but definitely an upgrade from the match at the Rumble and and Miz is just getting chances and getting chances and he's earned them uh, to grow as a as a singles star, particularly as a heel, because it's right in his wheelhouse. So, all right, we go back to Cole King and Stryker. They show clips of our opener where Batista defeated John Cena to become world champion. Gets us to our main event for the uh, SmackDown side of the coin with the world title on the line as Undertaker defends against Rey Mysterio, John Morrison, Chris Jericho, CM Punk, and our Truth Scott. What is the build up to this chamber match? Well, on the two five SmackDown, Jericho cut a promo saying he should have won the Rumble 
and has been carrying SmackDown while Edge was injured and Jericho would run into Edge backstage as Edge said Jericho created a monster and would get revenge on him. It was announced there would be qualifying matches to see who would enter the chamber and face the Undertaker for the World Heavyweight title. And in the qualifying matches, John Morrison defeated Drew McIntyre and Kane in a triple threat match. Punk defeated Batista. Jericho defeated Matt Hardy. Truth defeated Mike Knox. <laughs> Mike Knox. And uh, Mysterio defeated Dolph Ziggler to qualify. On the 212 SmackDown, Mysterio defeated Punk only for the Straight Edge Society to attack him afterwards. Truth would defeat Morrison after Morrison appeared to suffer an ankle injury. In the main event, Jericho defeated Taker in a non-title match after Edge hit a spear on Taker, and Jericho and Edge had a confrontation only for Taker to lay both men out. And on the 219 SmackDown, Jericho cut a promo talking about defying the odds until Edge interrupted, and they would go back and forth, which led to a brawl with Edge giving Jericho the spear, and Punk and Gallows would defeat Morrison and Truth in a tag match and attack them and Mysterio after the match. In the main event, Edge fought Batista to a no contest when Taker came out and gave Edge the choke slam. And Jericho came would come out and give Edge the code breaker before having a stare down with Taker. Now, um, if you guys noticed at the beginning of the match, uh, or at the beginning of the match, during the introductions, you noticed that Taker, like, bizarrely, like, in, in a weird way, he was walking down all normal. Then all of a sudden, he just starts running down to the ring, throws his jacket off, whips his hat off, throws his belt out, gets in the ring, runs around in a big circle, <laughs> and goes into the chamber. And you're like, what the fuck? The strangest thing. Well... Uh, the pyro, which is not really pyro, it's let's fire. It's not even right. pyro, it's fire. Yep. Um, went off at the wrong time, and if you guys noticed, usually the pyro goes off to the side of Taker, but somehow one went off literally right behind him and uh, around him. I think it, I think it was in front. Uh, his jacket catches fire, and he would suffer first and second degree burns. And if you notice during the match, is kind of like the middle of his chest would be a little pink. That's and, crazy uh, that he wrestled the whole match with the burns on him. Exactly. Uh, Chris Jericho has said on multiple occasions, the pyrotechnician who blew that was fired literally that moment <laughs> and escorted from the arena because Taker supposedly said he was going to beat the shit out of him. Uh, the ta Taker himself explained that he had previously expressed concerns to the technician regarding the pyro arrangement and was ignored. He feels he was saved from severe injury by applying water to his hair and altering his attire from a sleeveless to a sleeved jacket just minutes before the accident. Could you imagine? Wow. Yeah, the comments, the com com commentators even mentioned that it's a different entrance for Taker. They kind of said that too when that happened. So I didn't know what happened, so I rewound it. And then I was like, you know, looking at Wikipedia, and like, oh yeah, you set on fire. I'm like, that makes more sense now. Of yep. Why kind of unusual entrance for Taker. Second time in two years that Taker was involved in a pyro. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because two years earlier at WrestleMania 24, of course, in Orlando is when they had that. It didn't happen to him, uh, but the pyro above the Citrus Bowl almost killed like three people. So um, anyway, so here we go. That hasn't happened more, honestly. But Really? And particularly in like smaller venues, it's not like they do it in the NXT places, but I mean like the right. smaller venues. And particularly Taker, because his isn't pyro. It's fucking fire. I mean, they're shooting yeah. fire from the fucking ground. Yeah. You would think more people would get burned. So, I mean, la think about it. The year before, 2009, you had Jeff Hardy with that crazy, like, fake pyro accident or whatever. I mean, it's, it's, it's batshit. It really is. SmackDown Chamber time. Rey Mysterio to the ring, still hanging in the world title mix. Big shot from Morrison as well. Jericho saunters out next. 
followed by Taker. Uh, like you talked about, his crazy entrance. Punk is out with Serena and Luke Gallows. He cuts a promo at Addiction on the way down the ring. And then R-Truth cuts him off and wraps his way out. A big-time spot for R-Truth and a nice choice to start off with Punk. They run through some offense, countering, bouncing back and forth through the first period. Taker, I'm sorry, Truth gets a nice senton off the top to Punk. Truth uses chains to batter Punk, but Punk takes back over with a leg lariat, hits to go to sleep, and Truth is done already. It's nice to have him here. Uh, a good variance, though, I think, to have someone go out quick. It's the opposite of our last match where everyone stayed. So Punk gets to rest, of course. Like the rumble, he gets the mic, restarts his rant against everyone else until the pod opens, and out comes Rey Mysterio. Goes through Punk with a flurry. Punk steady, swings Rey twice into the chain wall to block a Rana. Punk shoots Rey hard to the pod, keeps hammering away, and then climbs to the top rope with Rey on his shoulders. But Rey fights free, takes Punk to the steel with a Rana, and follows with a splash to eliminate him. In a big shock. Uh, I did not see that coming. Jericho enters next. Him and Ray pick up from their feud in 09 with a fast-paced crisp flurry. Ray gets a 619 and Spider-Man's to the wall, but Jericho yanks him hard to the steel, pounds and grinds on him until Ray slips free, locks in a tight dragon sleeper. Jericho hangs on and twists him to the walls. Ray hangs on until the clock hits and Morrison enters. Morrison goes right at Jericho, wipes him out, then ends up getting sent hard into the steel by Ray. Jericho recovers, throws Ray into the steel as well. Morrison pops up and plows into both guys with a flying clothesline. Gets two on Ray on a standing shooting star press. Jericho gets two on a stiff backbreaker, but Morrison eliminates Ray with Starship Pain and another big upset and a great showing for Ray. Taker is in to close us out. He goes through both guys a little off at first, but stabilizes as we go. Morrison and Jericho start to work together to get Taker out of the way. Jericho follows Taker to the grating and slaps him around, tries to hide in one of the pods, but Taker traps him and unloads. Morrison crushes Taker with a hard kick, but his ankle is banged up and he can't cover right away. Instead, he goes for Starship Pain, but Taker gets the knees up. Jericho starts to come back in, but Taker sits up and Jericho runs in to hide into the pod again. Taker's groggy from the kick as he batters Morrison and throws him into the pod wall and stares at Jericho while keeping the beating going. Taker loads up a last ride, but Jericho takes that chance to emerge and attacks the champ and throws him hard through the plexiglass. Taker bounces up and chokes Sam's Morrison of the steel grate, and he's done. Taker stalks Jericho, hammers away, but Jericho takes over, hits a superplex. Taker roars back and tries a choke slam. Jericho slips free, goes to the walls, but Taker blocks and he goes into Hell's Gate. Jericho fights through that, twists into the walls. Taker rolls through, tries Hell's Gate again. Jericho slips out and hits a code breaker for two. Taker comes out of the corner with a last ride. Then he steps up the tombstone, but out comes Shawn Michaels from under the chamber grates, hits sweet chin music, stands over Undertaker. Jericho is in shock that his rival seemingly is helping him. He rolls over to Taker, covers him, and wins the world title as Shawn just stands over Taker's body. So a very unique structure uh, to this match. A lot of different beats. Has to go to vicious offense using the steel, a fast pace thanks to the chemistry. Punk was fantastic as always. was a fun shock when Ray took him out. Uh, Ray had a great showing, but it was also a shock when Morrison took him out. So good for him, too. Credit for being different, even though the general flow of the chamber style uh, is, was different as well. The end was uh, very well done with Sean finally getting his path to Taker Mania, and he hands the world title back to his old rival. So it's a casualty of his chase, but I like the touch where he had to choose, right? So good use of some different guys as well, especially giving Morrison a long run at the end. That was the best stretch of action. Jericho's back on top, heading to Mania, unlikely champion. Uh, as his, his stretch has been the best of his career by far. Uh, and Sean Taker, too, looks to be a go now as well, Scott. So I like this even better than the first chamber. Went four stars. Again, a hidden gem with a great finish. Yeah, I gave this... Uh, I, I like this chamber a lot. I gave it four and a quarter, actually. Um, 
I thought the uh, the storytelling <coughs> chapters were very good. Like you said, uh, Mysterio taking Punk out, but then Morrison taking Mysterio out. Like those three were great. I really enjoyed the last like seven or eight minutes of Jericho and and uh, Taker. Like you don't really see and Morrison too, but for the most part, particularly Jericho and Taker, because those are two guys you really don't see much. Like when was the last time you ever saw them in a match together? Not often. So that was fun to look at. Uh, and then the minute, I mean, you could see the guys in the first couple of rows across the camera, the minute the great lifted and up, you could see Sean's, uh, flannel and his ponytail. You're like, Oh shit. Now the good thing about this is you could have, you could have looked at this two different ways. If taker successfully retains the title in the chamber, then he has no number one contender and taker and Sean could just go, I want a title shot, you know? Um, instead he goes, I want to piss Taker off to the point where he had, again, Shawn Michaels, psychology, storytelling. I want Taker to be so fucking pissed. Got my, do I have your attention now? Make, make yourself famous. Take what you want. And he does that. He super kicks him in the mush. Great pin. Great, and Jericho just has that look like, ah, fuck it. <laughs> you know? Um, I thought, I agree with you, JR. This is top Jericho right now. Um, and now it sets up multiple matches because you kind of know now who, I mean, let's be honest. With, with this mm -hmm. result, you kind of know who Edge is going to pick now. Uh, so that sets that match up, which is fine. It's time now. It's right. no shows left. And you so, can kind of see Batista Cena forming as well obviously uh, based on yeah. earlier or something with brett whether it's a tag or so there's something brewing there with those four. right exactly so, yeah the mania picture looks at least your top four are set in some way brett vince cena batista uh taker sean and edge jericho i'm surprised we haven't seen i'm surprised we haven't seen brett on this pay-per-view you know and and uh or, or a little more i don't know a little more tv bill but anyway um i I just love this match. I thought it was great, uh, Tim. Uh, I loved seeing uh, Jericho and Taker go back and forth because it's not something you see all the time. And Sean coming through the grate was awesome. And I still think there was a little bit of doubt on who he was going to super kick because he probably could have gotten the Taker either way. But I think he wanted Taker pissed and, uh, and, and went the route we did. So I thought it was a great chamber. I think this one is kind of unheralded because of the the guys in the match and kind of the surprises we got. Yeah, I'll go four stars as well uh, on this one. Fun stuff. Definitely a different style, right? And kind of they kind of did one-on-one -on -one with an elimination. Like you guys both kind of brought up that you kind of think these one-on-one -on -one versus kind of all six guys brawling, which just makes it different, right? When you got right. two of the same matches on the show, it's just a different flow. But I think this one kind of works as well. Like that way, like kind of gives some shine, even though our, our you know, our truth think at the longest time on there, he got some shine in his, five minutes alone. So they set that up perfectly. Uh, I also like the CM Punk again, the straight edge promo, uh, you know, during the middle of it, they're really making that into a, a major topic right now. Uh, you know, they give him the promo before the match, gave him the promo during the match. So it's definitely something big. Uh, I love Ray going up to the top of the pod during the match. I've had such a cool spot. Uh, you know, the crowd just popped for it once he started climbing up there. So I love that spot. Um, and then 
I thought Jericho looked like a star fighting with Taker. You guys kind of mentioned it. Yeah, I can't think of a, a match, too many matches between them, but I thought they made Jericho look like a star there. And that, like, he kind of gives a shrug to Shawn Michaels after he does a super kick, like, oh, I guess I'll take this uh, and goes down. Maybe a little anticlimactic for Jericho, but he's kind of always been like a little slimy guy, like winning his titles, you know, I feel like. Uh, so, you know, him maybe not winning the title 100% clean it, for him is kind of like a thing we've seen from him before and in, in the future. So, I like that. And uh, you definitely set up Taker, Sean, as, you know, kind of, kind of similar to 97. You know, you know Taker's coming for Sean after this, you know, title loss. So um, fun stuff. A really good chain. Both both chambers are really fun. Again, neither of them had, like, any crazy spots, I thought, between the two that you kind of remember as all-timer Yeah, it's spots. almost like they didn't need it. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Neither of them have it, so maybe they're a little less thought of. Uh Especially is this being the first time they do this pay per view, right? I think this is the first one. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, yeah, it's well, it's the first time it's an actual pay per view. The actual pay per view. We've had it, chamber matches at no right. Out. Yeah, yeah, but uh, I think it lasts for a few years, right? This this is pretty much the preview for WrestleMania for a while, so mm -hmm. uh, it kind of sets a template of okay, maybe this can work uh, because I think it is a more difficult pay per view to pull off sometimes. Uh, but both these chamber matches are pretty good, so uh, four stars for me. Fun stuff and a good a good end to the pay per view with a rocky middle. All right, so that'll do it for this. Uh, let's get to our awards for MVP of the night. I think there's some good options here on this one, but I want Batista. Like, I just loved him coming out. His heel swagger, winning the title, this felt felt like the best choice. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'll, I'll go with Jericho. I thought winning the title, setting him up, I thought that was a pretty good ending. Hmm. All right. Uh, LVP, I went with... Vicky Guerrero. Um, again, I know she's fine in the role, to your point, Tim. I think it's starting to get a little played out. I don't like her role in the lay cool shit. Like, her ruining that match. She just, I don't know, was like the least fair part of the show for me tonight. Mm. I agree. Well, A lot of the women's stuff is getting is getting very stale. Mm. Yeah, I'll do Vicky just because she was part of that, that bad tag match. So I'll, I'll choose her as well. All right, best match. I'm with the SmackDown chamber. Same. Yes. Okay. Worst match, obviously, was a women's <laughs> tag. Gail Maurice versus Lay Cool. Agreed. Yeah, not good. Okay. Best moment, I went with Vince bringing out Batista to win the title. Uh, I got to go with Sean coming up the great and smoke and taker. Sa same with Sean for me. That was an awesome surprise and a uh, crowd bit for it big time. So, like yeah. that one. Well, I had that as my surprise of the night. You got, you're going to use that for both. Yeah, I'll do the same. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I, I tried to split it just to get Batista a little love because that was such a good moment. Um, all right, so that's that. Uh, final grade. I went seven out of ten. I mean, I thought it was a pretty good show. It was a better bounce back from the Rumble. Two really good chamber matches. The problem is there's nothing between them. Like, those are both great. I Miss mean, MVP was good, but this is a lot of weird downtime. The women's match is a mess. Kane Drew was kind of sloppy. I mean, the chambers just carry a lot of time, so I, I rewarded the show accordingly. But it's short of really popping because of that middle stretch. If it had one more like really big segment or a great match, like this could have been potentially a sneaky all-timer. Yeah, I mean, you got a bookend here because both both chamber matches are really really good. But the middle, I mean, I have two matches. Well, I can't really count Kane, uh, Cena Batista, uh, but I have a match at a one, and then you got Kane 
Drew is meh. And then MVP Miz is okay. Uh, I'm going to give it a five. I, I think I think the two chambers really make it strong, but they get balanced out because the middle is just so boring. Um, and that's fine. That's how these chamber matches, unfortunately, kind of have to go because you've got all the big players. When you got all the, it's worse than the Rumble because at least with the Rumble, you got the whole roster in a match. Here, when you got to take you know six pretty important guys out of the card, then you really have to fill the mid card with something, and it just there again another another example of a thin roster you took 12 important guys stuck them in two matches and then the middle of the show is eh, suffers because of it yeah i'm gonna go five and a half i thought that middle was rough uh the chambers were both good uh pretty memorable but uh i thought that middle part the women's the drew match even part of ms mvp the crowd wasn't all into it uh the awesome mark henry spot was cool but uh, you got to count the whole show, so five and a half for me. So goes your grade again. I missed it. I'm sorry. Five. Because I'm low. All right. That'll do it. Mr. Tim, thanks for joining us here tonight. Always a pleasure to have you. Real appreciate it. Thank you. Scott, we'll be back in two weeks with the Halloween special for this year. It'll be a lot of fun. And then a month from today will be WrestleMania 26. Yes. And I will say this as a tease. Mm-hmm. On our next episode, we're going to have an announcement about yes. the future direction of the show. This is not an announcement about the future of the show, which is remaining. Uh, this is an announcement about uh, where we're headed with the show. So, Yet another pivot. <laughs> yes. Stay tuned. We'll talk about that at Halloween and then yes. further at WrestleMania. So keep an eye out and an ear out. But until then, everyone take care. Have a happy, healthy rest of October and a Halloween. Because we're going to yes. Halloween episode will be post-Halloween. But we'll be back with you. Take care. The theater set to film. We saw Elm Street and man, it was death. And everything seemed alright when we left. But when I got home and laid down to sleep, that began the nightmare. But on my street. In my room like an oven My bed so was sweat And man, I was bugging I checked the clock And it stopped at 12.30 It had melted It was so darn hot And I was thirsty I went downstairs To grab some juice over a coat Flipped the TV off And then I almost choked When I heard this awful voice Coming from behind It said Man, I ain't even wait To see who it was Broke outside in my drawers And screamed so long Cause Got halfway up the block I calmed down And stopped screaming Then Oh, I, I must be dreaming. I strolled back home with a grin on my grill. I figured since this is a dream, I might as well get ill. I walked in the house, the big bad fresh prince. But Freddy killed all that noise real quick. He grabbed me by my neck and said, Here's my bill. We got a lot of work here. Me and you. The souls of your friends, you and I will play. You've got the body and I got the brain. I said, yo, Fred, I think you got me all wrong. I ain't partners with nobody with nails that long. I'll be honest, man, this team won't work. The girls won't be on you, Fred, your face is all burnt. I pat him on the shoulder, said thanks for stopping by. Then I opened up the door and said, take care, guy. He got mad, drew back his arm, and slashed my shirt. I laughed at first and thought, hold up, that hurt. It wasn't a dream, man, this guy was for real. I said, Freddy, uh, how it's been an awful mistake here. No further words, and then I darted upstairs. Crashed through my door, then jumped on my bed. Oh, please do something with Fred. He jumped on my bed.
my alarm went off and then silence. It was a whole new day, I thought. <laughs> I wasn't scared of him anyway until I noticed those rips in my sheets and that was proof that there had been a nightmare on my street.